things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of things in life that happen that just seem incredibly, incredibly unfair. But you know what's worse? When we don't have the courage to point it out. Now, what the hell am I talking about? You're about to find out on the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show, live from my new digs. I always say live because I'm a live brother. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show, coming at you as I love to do at the very least every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday over the digital airways of YouTube. I'm here in my brand new studio, thanks to my official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, the official studio sponsor of the Stephen A. Smith Show. By the way, let me take a moment to say what I always say, that I appreciate the love and support from all of my followers and my subscribers. We've continued to climb and have exceeded 384,000 in the first seven months. Can't thank y'all enough. Please keep the love coming, and I'm going to keep it coming as well. Please make sure to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube. Just click the bell to get notified of all of our new content. While you're doing that, please don't forget to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Always, 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 I love to take calls because I like to show people I'm not running from anybody. So I'll be taking your calls and questions. Just feel free to call in at 888-727-5303. That's 888-SAS-5303. The first order of business is to get into Draymond Green. Because yesterday, the NBA suspended Draymond Green five games for grabbing Minnesota's Rudy Goldberg neck. Basically, putting him in a chokehold, calling it an unsportsmanlike and dangerous manner, the league said. Wednesday night, Green dragged Gobert for a good seven seconds. We all saw the video. We all saw what happened. We know that there have been tra- past transgressions on the part of, Day- of Draymond Green. We get that. OK, everybody's going to talk about how he kicked Stephen Adams in the groin years ago. They're going to talk about how he kicked up at LeBron James, negating the fact that LeBron James during game four of an NBA final series years ago, on, on the brink of being down three to one, threw Draymond Green on the floor and then stood over him. And that's when Draymond Green pushed him off of him and kicked his feet up as well. We're going to forget all of that, right? We're even going to bring up the fact that he knocked out Jordan Poole, or essentially it looked like a knockout, with a video that was leaked that transpired in practice, for crying out loud. Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, fights in the NBA in practice happen, happen all the time. With teammates. And and the fact that that happened, that didn't happen in front of an audience. 
It didn't happen with an abundance of people around that were spectators and folks who patronized the sport of the National Basketball Association. And more importantly, it was a private matter that was leaked. Now, that's not to absolve Draymond Green from such an egregious act. And he knows that. And he spoke about that more than anybody. So we get all of that. But then, of course, we're going to bring up that and we're going to bring up how he stepped on the chest of Sabonis for the Sacramento Kings last year during the playoffs. There have been an abundance of transgressions on the part of Draymond Green. He is not innocent. And that's why when he got a five-game suspension, a lot of people didn't have a problem with it because they're saying, hey, this is not an innocent dude. We get all of that. My problem is how people are trying to label one incident or they're trying to say this is who he is, this is what he is. It was excessive, no doubt. It was a dangerous move, there's no doubt. Some people would even have a problem with the fact that Joe Dumas, of all people, who's the executive VP of NBA Basketball Operations, but in the same breath, a former member of the Bad Boy Pistons, who did a whole bunch of stuff when they were playing. And they're looking at Joe Dumas and they're like, you, you of all people? I mean, the bad boy Pistons invented some of this stuff. Who the hell are you? How did you get that job? But even when the Pistons were who they were, the bad boys, Joe Dumas was considered one of the ultimate good guys and class personified. So we can't use that against them. Here's what I will say, however. I, th- I still think five games is a bit excessive. Yes, Draymond shouldn't have grabbed Rudy Gobert around the neck like that. And yes, under no circumstances should he have held him for damn near a full seven seconds. It was a dangerous maneuver. There was no doubt about that. But he didn't throw a punch or anything like that. And where was Cap to get Draymond Green off of him? He was trying to pull him off of Klay Thompson. I just think that when you look at it from that perspective and you want to sit up there and say, this is the problem with Draymond Green, that's an aberration. The NBA although it appears to be soft as cottonelle tissue half the time because you got the NBA with their rules being implemented at every turn. It gets to a point where you feel like you'll get a technical if you're past gas for crying out loud. You understand that. I just want to be careful about excoriating Draymond Green to the point where he's considered such a pariah that officials and everybody else have an excuse not to call the games fairly. You want to eject him? Fine. You want to suspend him when a transgression transpires? Fine. He's got to live with that because he's got to reel in his emotions to some degree. I'm not denying that. But what I don't want to see is all of a sudden Golden State is going up against the opposition and every little ticky-tack call uh, is against Draymond Green is accentuated to such a degree that we're walking around treating him like a damn criminal. It's not, it's not like that. The NBA can be very physical. There's a lot that goes on in that paint, particularly when you're an undersized individual the way Draymond Green is. Remember, Draymond Green has the body of a big, small forward, dare I say. There are power forwards that are bigger than him. Most, if not all, centers are bigger than him. He's just such an elite defender and has been an elite defender in the times that he's been with the Golden State Warriors, which is materializing the four NBA championships and six appearances to the finals. I mean, when you look at it from this perspective, I think you got to look at and give respect where it's due. In the end, what it comes down to is that Draymond Green, is a future Hall of Famer. We want to act like we don't know that, but it's true. When you're an elite defensive player and you've contributed to four championships, you are a Hall of Famer. Don't talk to me about offense because Dennis Rodman didn't have no damn offense. Dennis Rodman was a rebounding demon and he was an elite defender and an exceptional athlete. Draymond Green is an elite defender. 
who, by the way, is a four-time champion and one of the great point forwards we've ever seen in this game. Him bringing the ball up the basketball court, pushing the pace, and finding the right guys, meaning Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, of course. That's Draymond Green. Again, the five-game suspension, if it were me, I would have suspended him for three games. But you want to give him five? Go ahead and give him five. Let's just make sure that in recognizing that you gave him five games, we don't go overboard with it and try to engage in a level of condemnation that has this guy being treated like he's some damn criminal. That's not him. That's not who he is. 888-SAS-5303 is the number of call. 888-727-5303. Let me move on to my second subject uh, that I wanted to broach, and that was the 76ers against the Boston Celtics last night. I took the liberty of taking my beautiful daughter, Samantha, to the game with me. She enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. Uh, but the Sixers ended up losing that game. Uh, she enjoyed it until the outcome because she loves her Sixers and she loves Joel Embiid and Lord have mercy that she loved Tyrese Maxey. But I told her, daddy told her that they were going to lose this game. You know why they were going to lose this game? Because the week before in Philadelphia, Philly had beaten Boston. You wasn't doing that twice. Not with supremacy within the Eastern Conference on the line. But here's what was the surprising, what was so surprising about it. The Boston Celtics won this game without Jalen Brown, their resident $300 million basketball player, whose salary, by the way, will be eclipsed by Jason Tatum, quick, fast, and in a hurry within the next year. But they were also out without their seven-foot-three forward that they just traded for in the offseason in Kristaps Porzingis. Both of them were out, and they still went into Philadelphia and beat Philadelphia. So what does that tell you? That tells you that what Philly has isn't enough. You can only expect Tyrese Maxey to do but so much. The brother is 22, going 23 years of age. He's averaging 28 and 7. Or he came in the last night game, averaging 28 and 7. We know what Tyrese Maxey can do. But to ask him on a night-in, night-out basis to do that, while feeding the ball to Joel Embiid, who's averaging 33, even though he only dropped 20 last night, and just looked like he was a bit too lethargic, looked like he had overslept, looked a bit tired. In the end, what it comes down to is that when Tyrese Maxey left the court, the Philadelphia 76ers didn't know how to play basketball. You don't have another legitimate point guard, another legitimate scorer to spell for Tyrese Maxey, which means the only way your best shot of success is to run him into the ground. You don't want to do that. So guess what, Darrell Morby, president of the Philadelphia 76ers? You have to roll up in there, and what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to get on that phone, and you're going to have to make another deal happen. You're going to have to get your hands, if not a quintessential point guard, to be that floor general for you. You're going to have to get another scorer to take some of the pressure off of Tyrese Maxey. And I would say the latter is the direction you should go in. Get another scorer like a Zach Levine out of Chicago, although I wish the Lakers or the Knicks would get him. But you got Zach Levine in Philadelphia. This is a guy paired with Tyrese Maxey that could do some damage. And even though it might compromise the number of shots Tyrese Maxey gets to take, It doesn't take the ball out of his hands the way playing with James Harden would have taken the ball out of his hands. So I think that has the potential to work, and it's something worth considering. If I'm the Philadelphia 76ers, you want a shot at beating Milwaukee come postseason? You want a shot at beating the Boston Celtics come postseason? Which I don't think you will. You got to go out there and get another scorer. It's just that simple. Let me transition to the last subject before I go to break because it's something that's on my mind. And um, it just needs to be said. You know, 
following the 2013-2014 season, a season in which the Golden State Warriors went 51-31 and and ended up losing in the first round to the Los Angeles Clippers courtesy of a Game 7 loss to Chris Paul um, and Blake Griffin and those boys. Former NBA player and head coach Mark Jackson lost that job. Now, for those of you who don't know who I'm talking about, we're talking about a Mark Jackson uh, who starred at St. John's University in Queens, New York. We're talking about a Mark Jackson that came into the NBA and ended up being the rookie of the year for the New York Knicks. We're talking about Mark Jackson, who is one of the brilliant basketball minds this game has ever seen. That same Mark Jackson was once the coach of the Golden State Warriors, no longer the case. That same Mark Jackson hasn't been able to get another in, another job, rather, since that, since that season as a head coach. That same Mark Jackson ultimately arrived at ESPN, where he worked for years doing color on the games, sometimes by himself with a Mike Breen or others calling games, and he would be there doing color by himself. I was going to say my boy Ryan Rucco as well, one of the great, great young broadcasters in the business. But Mark Jackson either doing it with them doing color by himself or he was doing it with Jeff Van Gundy. And just recently, this past offseason, ESPN and ABC decided to go in a different direction when an, an inordinate amount of cuts took place and people were laid off. He was one of those casualties. Well, he's made news for another reason. Because Mark Jackson was supposed to be doing, calling games, that is, for the MSG networks. But it didn't happen. It was planned for Jackson to help fill in for Walt Clyde Frazier when he had nights off. And because that didn't transpire as people expected, there were numerous reports out that Mark Jackson had been fired. He had accepted the job. He was going to be calling games for the New York Knicks. And then all of a sudden, something must have happened. So Mark Jackson is not going to be calling games in place of Walt Clyde Frazier on the New York Knicks. Well, that's according to reports. That's according to reporters and news publications. I'd rather hear from Mark Jackson himself. And so should you. Come on, man. Come on. At some point, the lies have got to stop. The lies have got to stop. I've sat back year after year after year listening to lies, questioning me as a man and my integrity. What I stand for, what I was raised on, has been questioned. I sat back and didn't say anything. My guy, the coach, the legend, Coach Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, has a great quote that I listened to just recently. He said he lost the address to the high road. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting closer because there's a side of me that's fed up, that's upset that you keep on smearing my name. Today, a report came out that I was fired or dismissed from calling Nick games. Honored and bestowed, honored and privileged to have an offer bestowed upon me to back up the legend, Walt Clyde Frazier, calling Nick games. Over a week ago, I turned that job down. You heard what I said. More than a week ago, I turned the job down due to the fact that it wasn't the ideal conditions and it wasn't the ideal time for me. You know, 
in the interest of full disclosure, because we have an obligation to be responsible at all times to the best of our ability, particularly when you've been in this business as long as I have. So the first order of business is to say that Mark Jackson is not only a former colleague, he's a friend. I've known him for many years. I wasn't blessed and fortunate enough to know him when I was growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, and he was right down the block near Murdoch Avenue in O'Connell Park, where he grew up just a few blocks away. I looked up to him. I was never the player that he was. I was never the basketball mind that he was. And everybody has to find their own way. But one of the greatest honors of my career is that I've come to know him and to be able to call him a friend. So I will openly confess to you, to everybody out there, that, yeah, you can accuse me of a bit of bias. Fair enough. But what's happening to him and what has been happening to him is utter bullshit. And y'all are full of shit. And you know exactly who the hell I'm talking to when I say that. Every chance you get, you throw out rumors about him. And I'm not going to even denigrate or sully his name by bringing up what those rumors have been over the years. It spanned years. Nobody ever takes the time to say, well, if it were true, even if those rumors were true. Oh, it was years ago. It was years ago. Now, I remember when he got fired from the Golden State Warriors. And there's not much shade we can throw on the Golden State Warriors because the successor was Steve Kerr, who happens to be one of the top five coaches in the history of basketball, so far as I'm concerned. But you got people who despised Mark Jackson, who would tell you Clay Thompson and Steph Curry may have never been what they ultimately became had it not been for Mark Jackson and the tutelage he provided and how it set the stage for Steve Kerr to piggyback off of and ultimately elevate not just the franchise, not just them, but himself to astronomical heights as a coach and a basketball mind in the game of basketball. And no shade on Steve Kerr whatsoever for another reason. The man was a champion before he got to Golden State. He was a champion as a player in Chicago. He was a champion as a player in San Antonio. And if Tom Thibodeau had listened to him, I'm sorry, if Mike D'Antoni had listened to him and allowed Tom Thibodeau to come to Phoenix and be the defensive coordinator when Steve Kerr was running basketball operations in Phoenix, Phoenix might have won the title one year with Amari Stoudemire and the Matrix, Sean Marion and Steve Nash and all of those brothers. They might have done it, but it didn't happen. I say all of that to say ain't no problem. Nobody's trying to throw any shade on Steve Kerr whatsoever. But there's something to be said about somebody teaching you how to crawl and walk before you ultimately learn to run and sprint. And that is what Mark Jackson did. For a lot of other people, it would have been enough to get another job. But for somehow, some way, for some reason, Mark Jackson gets ostracized. It really pisses me off. It really does. Because it's grotesquely unfair. This man, 98 and 66, his last two seasons coaching in Golden State, 2012 to 2014, and can't get another job all of these years? Really? But nobody wants to bring that up. Because every time he comes close, it could be Sacramento, it could be New York, it could be somewhere. There's always some damn rumor that's coming out. 
Did it ever occur to some of you people out there? What if people like myself and others who covered the NBA for the last quarter century started putting out the rumors that are out there about other people? Ladies and gentlemen, I know people who've been accused of some unsavory things that are working in professional basketball. I know somebody that was fired. I take that back. I know several people who were fired for having adulterous affairs. And somebody grabbed them and gives them life and ultimately elevate them. I've known people, I know people that are working in professional sports right now that have been accused of some of the most egregious things that were unlawful, that harmed other human beings. And they've been on camera talking to y'all and y'all have no idea about them, but we do. By we, I mean those of us who cover the league. I'm getting sick and damn tired. Every time Mark Jackson wants something or got something going on, when none of those accusations are applicable to him, and yet somehow, some way, they want to get in the way of this man trying to earn an honest living. Where's your compassion? Where's your decency? He don't have a right to go out there and earn a living? Now, let me be very, very clear. I'm talking about as a basketball coach. I work for ESPN. I was not happy when Mark Jackson was let go. I don't have any control over that. I think he's an outstanding analyst, but I also know Doc Rivers is one, too. And I know Doris Burke is a Hall of Famer. She's sensational. And I love the job that J.J. Reddick and, and Richard Jefferson are doing. And, and their promise is endless. Their promising the prospects are endless. They are special. And I want to state for the record, I miss Jeff Van Gundy. There's certain things that are above my pay grade. And decisions are made in corporate America every day. I keep telling y'all about that. Where the money reside, where the money reside, where the money reside, where the money reside. Okay. Yes, I get it. But the point is, is that in the throes of business, evidently all of these years Mark Jackson was doing this job, he was good for business. You working for ESPN and ABC calling NBA final games and all of a sudden you can't call Knicks games? Of course something's fishy. But why I got to be him? We are talking about James Dolan. That's his franchise. We are talking about Leon Rose, who's the president of the franchise. That's his franchise. We are talking about Tom Thibodeau, the coach, who every year feels like a hot seat to him. We are talking about that. Stephen A. Smith would not be saying anything if I looked around and I saw that this happens to everybody. Because fair is fair. But we know that ain't true. It's happening to him. Now, I know some of you saying, where he going with this? Oh, is he going to bring up race? No, because I don't have to. Like I said, it ain't happening to anybody else. 
Why is happening to him? You literally got people trying to keep this man from being employed, lying on him at every turn, embellishing stories, or even if they're telling the truth about some things, stuff from years ago, like they can move on from their past, but he can't. Y'all are full of shit. And your day's gonna come. Because a lot of people may not know who you are. But I do. Remember that. Remember that. Time to go to break. When we come back, I'll speak to the WBC super middleweight champion of the world, the one and only David Benavidez, on his fight upcoming against Demetrius Andrade. Stick around. Don't touch that dial. You're watching the Stephen A. Smith Show right here over the digital airwaves of YouTube. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? My guest today is a two-time WBC super middleweight champion who's racked up an impressive 27 wins, zero defeats, by the way, with 24 of his wins coming by way of knockout. He'll try to add one more to that total when he takes on Demetrius Andrade on November 25th in Las Vegas. Please welcome the man Mike Tyson labeled the Mexican monster himself, the one and only David Benavidez. What's going on, man? How are you, man? How's everything? Going good. First of all, I just want to give a thanks to, to you guys for inviting me on the show. And I feel really good, man. We're two weeks out from the fight and we're 100% ready to go November 25th. Well, I mean, you know I'm a big fan of yours. You know, no question about that. You're something special. This fight with Andre, why? Why him? You know, the fight that we're trying to get was with Canelo Alvarez is a fight that I rightfully earned. I'm the number one contender for the WBC belt. He didn't want to give me the fight, so now we look for the be- the next best thing, and that's Demetrius Andre. He's a fighter that's been dug by a lot of fighters and um, a fighter that's really good. But these are the type of fights I want. He's the best in the division, so now it's time to take him out. You know, when you when he talks, and first of all, he can't fight. Make no mistake about it. He's 32-0. and 0. He's undefeated as well with 19 KOs. Doesn't have your knockout power, but he's a very, very skilled southpaw. When you're going against him, talk to me about what your game plan needs to be against him that would be different, uh, say, what you did against Caleb Plant or anybody else. How does Andre, what kind of problems does he pose for somebody like yourself, potentially? <laughs> To be honest with you, I think it's the same game plan as Caleb Plant. You know, it's it's another boxer, another fighter, the slick fighter that moves around. So I got to cut the distance, go in there, and, you know, make it really uncomfortable from him on the inside. I know it's not going to be easy because he's very talented, very technical. He moves around a lot. But, hey, these are the type of fights I want. I don't want any easy fights. You know, I want to go and make it hard for myself. But I, I will guarantee you guys that I am going to get the knockout victory. When you think about yourself at this point in time in your career, and what you bring to the table. What is it that you think the public is missing about you? Things watching you, seeing you finish opponents, seeing the speed, seeing power in both hands. Um, I'm just wondering, is there something that we're missing about you in your mind, things that we don't know about you that we need to see? You know, there's still a lot of things that I'm, that I'm working on and then things that I want to show to the, the fans that I'm capable of. Um, is just putting everything on the line. You know, the fans know that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a power puncher, throws a lot of punches, punches and bunches, and I like to go in there and get the knockouts. So, I mean, I just want to keep giving the fans what they want to see, and I want to keep um, showing, uh, proving to the world that I am the best super middleweight on this planet. 
I have never seen you hurt, bro. I, I can't, I, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out, because I watch your fights. I make sure to watch you when you're fighting. I don't even recall seeing you hurt. When's the last time you've been hurt in the boxing ring? Seriously. Never, and you never will see me hurt either. That's why I work extremely hard. Um, I got three months into this training camp. I put everything into this training camp. I have not left any stone unturned, and I come into my fights very prepared. So that's why the whole super middleweight division should be scared. You know, I'm, I'm not... You know, I'm not going to take no for an answer, and I'm going to clear this whole division out. What was it like for you watching Canelo Alvarez fight against the smaller Jamal Charlo? I mean, he moved up two weight classes to fight Saul Canelo, Canelo Alvarez, and I gave him a lot of points for bravery because I'm like, you know, we, we talking about Canelo Alvarez here. But I was upset that the fight took place because, first of all, his brother obviously was having some personal issues he has to deal with. But he's the natural fight at 168. He wasn't prepared for that fight. So the brother moved up. Obviously, he said he had targeted it all along. He was supposed to be the guy but went up two weight classes to fight Canelo. But I thought that Canelo should have been fighting you. What was it like for you as somebody who's the number one contender that obviously is in line? to fight Canelo, to see Canelo take that fight against an opponent two divisions smaller than him? You know, I don't want to disrespect Charlo at all. I, You know, he took the chance. He went up two weight classes and he didn't look good. Um, Canelo Alvarez, out of, in my opinion, he didn't look good. It was a boring fight. You know, there's only a little bit punches thrown. And what the fans really want to see is Canelo Alvarez versus a real super middleweight. You know, I'm the strongest, I'm the fastest, I'm the best in this division. So let's get the people what they want to see. What are we waiting for? Why do you think he's waiting so long to fight you? Because he knows that once he steps in the ring with me, all his belts are going to leave with me. I'm not leaving that, that building without all those belts, and I will be victorious when that fight happens. And I'm wondering, listen, like Mike Tyson calls you the Mexican monster. Obviously, you know what? You got those, those, those Latino roots and what have you. I'm wondering why the folks in Mexico and beyond haven't demanded that Canelo ultimately fight you, that they've let him get away with waiting so long to get you in the ring. I'm speculating. I don't know. But I'm wondering how you feel along those lines about how long he's waited to get you in the ring. Why is that? You know, to be honest with you, I feel like he knows that I'm the biggest threat that he's ever faced. And that's why he's just he's just letting it prolong for as long as he can. Um, the fans, the uh, the fans and the fight legends are already calling for this fight. But I think Canelo thinks that he's going to wait me out. But that's going to be even more dangerous for him because I'm getting more experience. I'm getting more comfortable, you know, in the spotlight and I'm ready to go. I'm hungry. I want this. I really want all those belts and I really want to prove to the world that I am the best. How do you label Andre against the regular competition that you faced against in your career? What, what, what do you make of him and what he brings to the table compared to the previous opponents you faced in your career? Oh, Andre, without a doubt, he's the best opponent I've ever faced. You know, he's an Olympian. He's a two-time world champion, two different weight classes. So we prepare very well for him. You know, I know he has a lot of tricks up his sleeve, but I have a lot of tricks up my sleeve, too. But hey, let's go to war November 25th, and I will come out victorious. You know, one of the things that I remember, and there's a basketball player by the name of Kevin Durant. You might have heard of him. He's a superstar in the National Basketball Association. And he was talking to the public and saying, some of y'all don't get it. We actually work harder and, and go at each other harder when we're friends as opposed to enemies. When I saw you and Caleb Plant, you know, basically promoting your, your, your fight before you ultimately beat him, I remember I said to myself, there's a lot there's a lot of animosity there. You don't like this dude. And in boxing, especially, I think the more you dislike an opponent, the better the fight's going to be, the more you desperately want to go after them. Is that the wrong? Is that a wrong thinking on my part or is that something that you genuinely believe? 
No, yeah, definitely. I think that once there's more animosity, it gives more of a show, more of a spectacle because you could see it at the press conference and stuff. But for this fight, I, I feel like we've came, um, we've shown that the people that were gentlemen, you know, that, were, right. that we could conduct ourselves as professionals. Yeah. But the game, the game plan is still the same. I must go in there, try to take his head off every single round. And now that I don't have to deal with that beef outside the ring, I can focus 100% on boxing and um, in this fight, and I'm going to go do my job to perfection November 25th. If you beat Andre, when you beat Andre, because, uh, you know, because I, I, I think you'll beat him, I like, uh, I, I respect the hell out of the skills or whatever, but I definitely have you winning this fight. Where do you go from here if Canelo Alvarez will not give you a fight? You know, my plan is, like I said, to be the best, best in the world at this division. And if he doesn't want to fight me, I'll fight whoever in this division. But um, I'm also interested to go up to 175 and fight Beagle. I think that's a fight that could be made. You know, I'm, I know B will really well. I sparred him in, in the past. So I think that's, that's a fight that could be made in the future. But um, like I said, we're going to keep putting pressure on the WBC. They said, you know, that they're going to make this fight versus me and Canelo happen after this, after the winner of Demetrius Andre and David Benavides. Is the, that's going to be the real mandatory for Canelo. And I put all the work in, and so let's go and get this fight right after. Canelo has moved up and down. You're talking about 168 and potentially moving to 175. You ever thought about moving down a little bit at 160 or at a catchway to 165 to fight some of those other opponents in the middleweight division? Uh, Have you thought about that? No, to be honest with you, I'm just, uh, I won't go down uh, past uh, 68. I think I'll, I'll just go up uh, 168. And since me, I'm a big frame. I'm getting older too, so it's a, uh, it's not as easy to make 168 anymore, so I can only imagine making 160 or catchweight. So, mm. we're just gonna stay at 168 or go to 175. Um, your prediction for this fight is what? I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna knock out Demetrius Andre. You know, a lot of people say I can't do it. A lot of people say that I have too much flaws, but hey, I always find a way to win this fight, and I look impressive all the time. So, I want to shut all my haters up. I want to shut all the critics up, and that's exactly what I'm gonna do November 25th. WBC Super Welterweight Champ, Super Middleweight Champion of the World, the one and only David Benavides right here with Stephen A. Smith on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Appreciate you, my man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good luck. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you guys. No doubt. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show right here over the digital airways of YouTube coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, as always, as I tell you at the end of every show, I'll be taking your phone calls because I don't run from anybody. So the number to call up is 888-727-5303. That's 888-SAS-5303. You know, I need to get up partially because I have a studio that I love, by the way. Partially because I have a suit I look, I think I look pretty fly in. But another reason would be because I got a few things on my mind today because I didn't want to just sit down and talk about the next subject that I'm about to broach. Now, for those of you who don't know me and you've been listening to me for years, you know one of my favorite sayings is stay off the weed. You know that about me. You know that. The one person I've never said it to is my brother Snoop Dogg. We know that he, 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 he gives new meaning to a green room. We know this. We know his history. We know his reputation. We know that this brother puff, puff, and pass with the best of them. We get all that. And I know a lot of love for my brother. This is my dog. The one and only Snoop Dogg. 
Well, he's 52 years old. And I guess Father Tom has kicked in to some degree. I don't know. I just saw the report and I was stunned. I was shocked and all of this other stuff. I was shocked. According to the report, Snoop Dogg, who's 52 years of age, says he's quitting smoking. I paused for a reason because I was damn near about to have a heart attack by saying those things. I never thought I would hear that in life, but it's true. Now, mind you, this is after it was once claimed he had about 75 to 100 joints rolled for him every 24 hours. So you can imagine my shock my, or my surprise when I heard this news. The first thing I did in all seriousness was pick up the phone and call him because I'm worried. Because I'm like, what the hell's going on? Why would you stop smoking? What the hell is going on? I can't believe this. I mean, that's the one person that I wanted to be able to say, stay on the weed. I mean, let's, let's be clear. I, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. But when I couldn't reach him directly over the phone, I decided to reach him on social media the way I reach a lot of people that I don't get to talk to or doesn't get to talk to me. So I decided to post this right here for everybody to see. You see this right here? Snoop Dogg, I'm giving up smoke. This is me. Stay off the weed. Remember I said that? This is what I posted on my social media page. I've won, but at what cost? I got to talk to my man Snoop. I got to find him. I make sure he's all right. Okay. I got to make sure I don't want him depressed. I don't want something, something but I'm your brother. I'm your brother. I know, I know it's shocking to believe, but I love this brother so much. This brother means so much to me. He's always been there for me. That's my dog. Okay. I, I love him to death. If I had to go against my adage, and I had to sit up there and tell somebody to stay on the weed because that would make them happy, it would be him. I'd do it for him. I'd do it for him. I don't know if I'd do it for anybody else, but I would do it for him. Love you, bro. Make sure you are right. After much consideration and conversation with my family, I've decided to give up the smoke. Much consideration and conversation with the family. The family is telling you to give up the smoke after all of these years. He is a granddaddy now. And he did say he wants to be around for his grandchildren. The only thing that confuses me about that is if you wanted to be around for your grandchildren and you think smoking weed harmed you, then I know you love your children and I know you love your wife, so you wanted to be around for them too, but you were smoking all of the time. I thought weed was healthy. That's what people have been trying to tell me. So either way, this is my brother, none but love for him. Whatever decision he makes, I support him, period. Let me move on. Colorado Buffalo's coach, primetime Deion Sanders, asked for leniency toward four Beaumont High School California students suspected in the Rose Bowl locker room heist that happened during Colorado's game at UCLA versus UCLA on October 28th. Listen to primetime Deion Sanders in a press conference talking about granting leniency to these kids who are thieves. So... Let's make sure that those kids atone for 
what transpired, if it's community service, whatever it is, but they don't lose an opportunity to change their lives. They're kids. They made a stupid, dumb, idiotic mistake. Guess what? When I was 7 and 18, so did I. There you have it. You know, Deion Sanders brings up a very, very big point that all of us should pay attention to. I personally am not interested in compassion for anyone who harms other people. I'm talking physically. You're a violent criminal. No compassion for somebody like that. Do what you got to do with them. Because if there's anything inside your soul that allows you to bring harm to another human being physically without any compassion whatsoever, anything that puts you on pause and make you hesitate and think twice about what you're doing, you're probably somebody who belongs in jail any damn way. But when you come to thieves, young kids committing acts of thievery and things of that nature, just like Deion Sanders said, punish them. Make sure there's some kind of ramifications come along with it because a deterrent usually is the best route to take. But not in a fashion that calls for their lives to be irreparably damaged. Let's think about that for a second. Children are the future. Kids are the future. If we give up on them so early and we stigmatize them and stymie their growth in such a way because the system has gotten a hold of them, and it serves to keep them down, then how bright is the future for the rest of us? Let's have some compassion. All of us make mistakes. All of us do stupid things. None of us are perfect or, or, you know, all of us are flawed in the eyes of God. Let's just keep that in mind. Applaud primetime Deion Sanders for having that level of compassion. That's why he's primetime. And most of us are daytime. Moving on, James Dolan, owner for the New York Knicks is looking to land the queen bee herself. (sighs) Lord, is she special. That's Beyonce. That's for his Las Vegas music venue, The Sphere, which, by the way, looks big time. Dolan's been speaking with Beyonce's team about the pop superstar taking up residency at his state-of-the-art arena after U2's epic run ends early next year. Sources close to the situation say the single ladies, all the single ladies, the single ladies, singer's husband, Jay-Z, has toured the $2.3 billion venue. But Beyonce's team is asking for about $10 million to produce the Divas high-tech stage show. YouTube opened the 20,000-seat sphere and concludes its 36-show residency in February. Beyonce finished her Renaissance World Tour last month and has no shows scheduled for next year. Here's what I want to say. James Dolan, for once, your damn behind done did something right. Personally speaking, if I'm Beyonce, she's worth about double that. So if I were her, I'd push for $20 million. And you're a billionaire, so stop being so damn cheap. Okay, you've been paying people for years that ain't produced a damn thing for you. I know this because I've been a lifelong Knicks fan. So you certainly could pay Beyonce. Give her all the money she wants. If she wants 20 million, give it to her. Because let me tell you something right now. Knowing she's there, just knowing she's there is going to attract people. People don't want to come to the damn sphere even when she ain't performing. Just to hope to run into her. Okay, because that's how she's Beyonce. She's Beyonce. Okay. It's that simple. She's worth more 
than 10 million for the residency. I'd say 20 myself. That's just me. Okay. I'm going to move on to one last item before I go and take your phone calls, okay? And that's Kelly Oubre of the Philadelphia 76ers. That's a subject that we need to tackle right now. It's necessary. He's a guard for his small forward swing guard, small forward for the Philadelphia 76ers. He was hit by a car last Saturday in the center city section of Philadelphia. Oubre told investigators he was walking alone when he was clipped by the driver's side mirror of a silver car around 7.20 p.m. Look, first of all, thank God he's okay. Went to the hospital, suffered a broken rib and some other injuries. Nothing life-threatening. Thank God he's okay, even though he's going to be out for a little while from playing basketball for the Philadelphia 76ers. I was at the game last night. They desperately needed him. He wasn't there. They lost the game to the Boston Celtics. Here's all I can tell you. I don't have any facts to back up what I'm about to say. I just find it a tad bit odd that somebody damn near hits you like flush and uh, evidently the side of the mirror, the, the, the mirror caught the side of your body. And because of that, you know, you end up going to the hospital, but still and all, it was hit and run. So they ran away. They drove away. So they hit you by accident. You know how much of a speed they had to be going through for the side, for the side mirror of a car to hit you and that to hospitalize you? I'm sorry. There's something about that that reeks of intentionality to me. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. They haven't found the suspects. Who knows what the situation is going to materialize into? I don't have any of the facts other than to say that he's alive and doing better and getting healthy and they hope that he's going to be okay. But my belief is I lived in Philadelphia for 17 years. Those side streets and center city and stuff like that, yeah, they're going a little fast. They ain't going that damn fast. And oh, by the way, if you get hit, I mean, you're kind of looking both ways and you're always mindful and cognizant of the cars that are going by. I understand we're living in a world of people putting their head down and tweeting and walking without looking both ways. But this is the damn fault for the Philadelphia 76ers. Making millions, looking to make more millions in the years and years to come. Your body is your temple. It's what makes him his money, his athleticism, his physique, him being in shape and ready to play ball. I find it very difficult to believe that with all the dangers you, you avoid, that suddenly you just lost consciousness and got hit by, the, uh, by a car's side mirror while you were walking in the streets. It seems to me like somebody targeted yourself. And if they targeted you, why would they do that? Not that it absolves them from guilt or criminal behavior. But something's a little fishy. It's just my perception. Let me go to the phones before I get on out of here. The number to call them is 888-727-5303. That's 888-SAS-5303. I love to get to the call, so let's go right to it. Let's go to Caesar in Vegas. You're live with Stephen A. What's up, Caesar? What's up, Stephen A.? I know how much you love college football. Who do you think is going to win the college football national championship this year? 
You know what? It's hard to bet against Georgia. I haven't seen much to impress me about Georgia. Michigan's got the top defense in the nation. Ohio State's got some some boys that could play. Um, no doubt about that. We're looking at that. I would love to see Florida State because I love their passing game, particularly with their two receivers led by Ken Johnson. That would be me. But it's hard for me to bet against the reigning defending two-time national champions until I see somebody knock them off. And I haven't seen that yet. I appreciate the call, though, man. Thank you. Let's go to Daniel. You're live with Stephen A. What's up, Daniel, in St. Louis? What's up, Stephen A.? How's it going? I'm all right. Talk to me. Just good. Uh, I know you're a Steelers fan. I just wanted to see how you feel about the uh, Steelers moving forward. Obviously got some middle linebacker issues the right now. Offense and then sucks. The offensive struggles. The Steelers offense sucks. And I think yeah, that Matt, yeah. candidate, Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, should have been gone. I think Mike Tomlin uh, is being his true loyal self and working his genius yeah. as a coach and finding a way to get it done. But I am not happy with their offense at all. They still have yet to record a 400-yard game, uh, which seems like yeah. a damn, th- damn years for crying out loud. They're just awful yeah. offensively as far as I'm concerned. It really makes no, no sense. You got Deontay Johnson. You got George Pickens. You got Fryer Muth. You got Najee, Najee Harris. And you got this guy, uh, Warren, at the running back spot. I'm just looking at them and some of the personnel that they have in place. And I'm like, why the hell can't they score more points? It's because their quarterback, Kenny mm-hmm. Pickett, ain't the dude that I thought he was. Not when I'm looking at C.J. Stroud ball the way that he's yeah. balling. I'm sorry. I wish they had him. But that ain't the case. Agreed. All right, man. Hey, at least the O-line's been picking it up. How about that? That is true. You're right about that. Appreciate the call, man. Thank you. Let's go to Blake in Atlanta. You're live with Stephen A. What's up, Blake? Hey, what's going on, Stephen A? Uh, Huge, huge fan of yours. Somebody who wants to be in the sports media industry. Um, Always looked up to you, so it's awesome that I finally get a chance to to call and talk with you. you. Um, Huge Atlanta sports fan. So, of course, like yourself, I watched the Hawks-Knicks game last night. I'm not surprised by the outcome by any means, but, you know, you're a great basketball mind. I was wondering if I could ask you a question based on... Well, first of all, time, 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 time. stop, stop, stop. First of all, I'm going to take your question, but Blake, you're being a slick ass. Stop it. Here's what you did. You sat up there and you complimented me. Then you went on a soliloquy like you were hosting the damn radio show and then said, I'd like to ask you a question when you know the intent of you calling in is to have a question ready. So you spent about a full minute talking because clearly this is the career that you want to be in. First order of business is learning when to be concise. And secondly, is being honest enough to say, yo, this is what I want to do. So let me ask you this question. Well, can I give you some commentary before I ask you the question? You didn't do that. You're lucky I ain't hang up on you. Now, ask your question. Okay. Um, so, you know, of course we played in the playoffs a couple of years ago and I don't think the Hawks need to be holding on to that at anymore. You know, that's you more commentary, Blake. That's more commentary, Blake. Blake, I'm messing with you, bro. I mean, it's all love, but I'm messing with you. That's more commentary. That is not a question. Let me, let me, can I give you some advice? Blake, how old are you? I just turned 22 weeks ago. You just turned 20? Yes, sir. All right. Just congratulations. Let me give you a little tip. Okay. This is me, Stephen A., looking out for you. And I'm not going to hang up with you. I'm going to let you ask your question, okay? I'm listening. Let me give you a little tip. Yes, sir. If you went up to a potential employer, right, and you wanted two minutes of his time, you know what the best thing you could do? Is take two minutes. To shut up and listen. Don't know. To take the two minutes. Because if you take more than that, if you take significantly more than that, then you've proven to be a liar, you really want more of their time. So then they're going to hesitate to talk to you because they're going to be like, damn, he told me he wanted two minutes, but he got me here for five to ten minutes. I ain't going to talk to his ass next time. So when you say you want to talk to somebody for a minute, you got to get to it. 
And not only that, you want to be in this business. You got to know when to be concise. Okay? You're 20 years yes, old. Sir. You're wet behind the ears. Breath smelling like Similac. I get it. So I forgive you. Ask the question. No more commentary. What's the question? What do the Hawks need to do to fix the future that was once so bright a couple of years ago? Because now we're stuck in the mud. <sighs> Appreciate that call. It's hard. Trey Young is a bad brother. He can play, but he's a volume shooter. Wasn't shooting with a degree of accuracy last year. I'm still not sold on whether or not the combination of him and DeJounte Murray would work. I love the fact that yeah. he didn't move off of John Collins. I get that. I like Swinton yeah. Snyder, and I respect him as a coach. Um, but I don't know if he's the right coach for the job. Um, and here's the amazing thing. Everybody lives in Atlanta in the offseason. That's one of the places everybody wants to make sure they have a spot in. But somehow, someway, nobody's ever anxious to go and play for them. Now, I will tell you this. They got an arena, okay? Mm -hmm. And everything I hear about the arena, it's a straight party. Oh, ain't nothing, ain't nothing, ain't nothing to do but party. But party at that arena the Atlanta Hawks are playing in. The problem yes, is... How supportive are they being of the team or are they in the back rooms partying and getting their groove on while the game is being played? That might play a role in helping you recruit better players, too. Just something to think about. I appreciate the call, though, man. Thank you. Vincent in Los Angeles, you're live with Stephen A. Talk to me, Vince. Stephen A. <clears throat> Greetings, man. Greetings. How you doing, bro? In and out burger waiting for you, bro. All right. I'm good. Talk uh, to me. The Chargers. Damn. Give me some names. I don't have next to, year. Uh, in, 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 names for what? For a head coach. Damn right. Anybody. Damn you, right. You, Damn right. You, you, the Chargers need another anybody. coach. Chargers need another coach. You can't have Justin Herbert having his years wasted with that. First of all, Kellen Moore is making a decent case to be the next head coach because he's the offensive coordinator now. And the offense has been pretty impressive. It, it's had its doldrums from time to time. But for the most part, he's done his job there. Kellen Moore would be one. I think Sean Payton made a mistake. I'm going to tell you this, though. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this, bro? I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I think Bill Belichick should resign as head coach for the New England Patriots. He should ask out and Bill ooh, Belichick come ooh, and take over the Chargers job. Ooh. Leave your mm. team intact. Leave your team intact. Or even you could bring Josh McDaniels back as the offensive coordinator if you want to, since he ain't going to get a head coaching job anymore. But he's a damn good <laughs> offensive coordinator. Let him come near to Los Angeles, be the offensive coordinator under Bill Belichick, and, and he could bring Justin Herbert along. I would say Bill Belichick. That so is the name Belichick that I would give because, you. Because of the window that's still open? Well, you what, think? That's why? Well, well, listen, if you're Bill Belichick, why would you stay in New England? You've wet the bed. You've snuck up the joint. You're below 500 coach since Tom Brady walked out the door. Mac Jones has regressed considerably. Uh, the, the people in Foxborough, Massachusetts and beyond ain't sold on you any longer. Why not do that? That's just me. Agreed. I got to bounce out of here, man. I appreciate the call. Call back another time. Thank you so much. Last caller, Edward in San Jose. You're live with Stephen A. What's up? What's going on, Stephen A? What man? up, baby? Long time fan. I'm ready to call in because... Man, I just they just broke the news that the A's are moving to Vegas, man. Yep. I'm a long-time barrier. I'm going to wear both Raider games and A's games. Man, I just want to know your thoughts on them moving to Vegas, man. Y'all deserve it. Y all, y all, the city of Oakland deserves what they get. 
And listen, I don't know all the details, and I'm quite sure city officials have worked diligently to keep the team, the franchise there. I'm quite sure that proposals have been made that they felt outbid other areas, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality of the situation is the handwriting in the city of Oakland has been on the wall, on the wall for quite some time. Let's call it like we see it. The Oakland Raiders left. They're now in Vegas. The Golden State Warriors moved from the Oracle to the Bay just 20, 25 minutes away just to get the hell out of Oakland, all right, and build their new facilities. And now the baseball team leaves. By the way, you had possums hanging in the wall of the damn stadium. That's just disgusting. You understand? That's just nasty and disgusting. Possums hanging in the wall. Do you understand what an indictment, what a catastrophic indictment that was against the city of Oakland? If you remember, shortly thereafter, they were playing baseball games in Tennessee or someplace. Why? Because you can't be playing. You can't be having professional athletes playing under those conditions. Now, I understand over the last two games, they've won 110 games combined when there's 162 games in one Major League Baseball season. But the reality is that even though they just, they've stunk up to join the last two years, there were three consecutive years in recent memory when they went to the postseason. How does the city not ensure you keep the franchise? How does the city not ensure that you make sure to upgrade their facilities? Hell, build them a new stadium if you have to. Now you lost your baseball team, your football team, and your basketball team. I'm scared for what the economy in the city of Oakland is going to look like without those people, without those professional sports teams there. It's a travesty. Yeah. But you cannot have I, 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 possums hanging in the freaking wall of a stadium. First of all, possums looks like look like rats from a distance. Okay? And them big ass possums sitting there hanging, crawling up and down the wall. You have any idea how nasty, disgusting, and scary that is? They lucky they didn't leave last year and never came back. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. Come on, you're the city of Oakland guy get together. Come on. And by the way, I, I you lost say, the, like, last what, minute what, they did what's, what, draw up the plan. Yeah, they drove they up the hell with all of that last minute. They, yeah. Listen, if you've been getting on my damn nerves, and, and you've been getting on my damn nerves one week after another after another, one month after another after another, ultimately one year after another after another, eventually I'm going to get tired of your ass, and you're going to get tired of me. And you're going to say enough's enough. And when somebody shapes up and try to fly straight and right and do everything the right way, you're going to say it's too late for that. Women have taught us that for, for, for centuries. You, 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 can, 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 you just, can we just all take it to the man? The man, the owner didn't do shit for the team either. Let's keep it a buck, too. Hold on, time I understand that. Time out, time out, time out, time out. He didn't do it because he didn't want to, because he was looking to leave. Why help you out? You got to incentivize him to stay. You saying the owner didn't do anything for, you know, do anything for the team either and didn't do anything for the city. Well, again, they went to the postseason three or four straight years up until a couple of years ago. They've you the one that want to see him. Say what? Put money into the team. They've been playing money ball since 2002. Time Put out. Into the time team. out. Time out. I understand that. But who's the one crying over them leaving? They ain't. If you the know, if you I, know yeah, that you want to keep them, then you got to do what it takes to keep them. Now, and not only that, the city of Oakland, you cannot make a case for them when the football, basketball, and baseball team, three major sports franchises, departed from the same damn city inside of five years. You cannot make a case on behalf of Oakland. You just can't do it. You can't do it. Appreciate the call, man. Thank you so much. Got to get on out of here for the show. And I was getting ready to walk away and tell y'all I'll talk to y'all in the next day or so, same bat time and channel. But then I got tipped off 
that I need to stand up to end this show because somebody tweeted me a question and they said, Stephen, A., you can't sit down for this. You got to stand up to answer this question. So I guess I'm going to do that to end the show and see what the hell these folks are talking about. Okay, y'all got me standing up. Okay, I'm standing. I'm here. Put up your question. Let me see what the question is. At Ball Sack Sports. Good Lord. You couldn't come up with a name better than that? Damn, so crass. Anyway, Stephen A., would you go a year without sex if it guaranteed the Knicks a championship? A year without sex? Nah. Nah. I want the Knicks to win so bad. I have suffered for decades. Ladies and gentlemen, I am 56 years old. The last time the Knicks won the championship, I was five. Five. I deserve better. I think I'm a decent young man. I go to church. I tithe. I pay my tithe. I, I, I try to do the right thing. I know that, Pastor Bernard, please forgive me. I know that I have a ways to go. I do, I do. But I try. It's not for lack of effort. It's just hard. It's hard. And when you ask that question, to me, you're alluding to one of the most blasphemous words in history. And that's celibacy. I can't function like that. That's going too far. Monogamy, no problem. Celibacy is another matter. And to know that you're asking me to do it for the New York Knicks, essentially you're asking me to do it for James Dolan. That ain't happening. But if there's anything that could have gotten me to consider it, it would have been the Knicks winning the championship. I want it so bad. I want it so bad. Just... What it would do for my life, what it would do for my heart and my soul, how it would elevate my level of enthusiasm, how it would give me hype, give me hype. Oh, my Lord. I can't even tell you. But I love sex. I just do. It's not about having it all the time. It's about knowing I can See, it's one thing to go a year without. It's another thing to look in advance and say you have to go a year without. You know, it comes and goes and you're happy, you're in the mood, you're out of the mood, you do something, you, do, you don't do something. You flow. But you know how we are, especially as men. Women, too, by the way. The second you tell us we can't do something is when it's harder not to do it. That's me, even if it was for a Knicks championship. It's just the truth, y'all. 
It's just the truth. I'm out of here, but I'll be back soon enough. Stephen A. Smith signing off. Until next time, same bad time, same bad channel. Peace and love. Let me go do what I do. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.